Thank you for listening to a special edition of the Lang Money Hour. The following broadcast is from Jim Lang's most recent in-person seminar held on February 8, 2020 at the Crown Plaza Hotel and Suites in the South Hills section of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This special retirement workshop was attended by near 100 retirees seeking protective strategies against the death of the stretch IRA in the form of the SECURE Act that went into law effective January 1, 2020. The SECURE Act would cause your non-spousal beneficiaries to pay the entirety of taxes on your IRA and retirement plans within 10 years of your death, not only effectively ruining any financial stability of your non-spousal beneficiaries, but also taxing your hard-earned retirement after your death. And now, Jim Lang. Okay, so what is the SECURE Act? Within 10 years after your death, your beneficiary must pay the income taxes on the IRA or 401k, 403b, SEP, KEO, etc. Uh, and by the way, that is for probably all but maybe one or two of us in the room, that is our biggest tax problem. See, in the old days, estate attorneys were worried about estate taxes or transfer taxes, typically at death, but the tax was levied on the transfer of assets. That's, and by the way, a lot of attorneys are still thinking that. That's not the big problem. Married folks have more than a $22 million exclusion. The problem that most of the people in this room have is not transfer tax, it's income tax. Because neither Bob nor Pam have paid income taxes yet on their IRAs and their retirement plans and their 401ks, 403bs, and SEPs and KIOs, etc. And someday, somebody will. And what I've been saying all along is don't pay taxes now, pay taxes later. But the SECURE Act is going to say, nope, 10 years afterwards, you have to pay it. All right, what are some of the exceptions? And the exceptions are critical. Most important exception are married beneficiaries. All right, so let's say that Bob is married and he has a million dollars or whatever he has in his IRA and he dies and he leaves it to his wife or Pam leaves it to her husband. They can do what's called a trustee to trustee transfer. You probably think of it as a rollover where it's basically a transfer of the IRA from him to her or her to him. And they that same pattern of minimum required distributions continues and the spouse is not subject to the 10 year rule. Thank goodness for that exception. All right. Um, the other thing is if you leave money to a child and that child is a minor, probably that ship has sailed for most of us, um, but there is an exception for the minor. The minor can take it based on their life expectancy, but then when the minor reaches their majority, then, they, then the 10-year clock starts ticking. Okay? The other exception which as which as you're you're going to be as you're going to see is critically important is charities you're thinking well gee i wasn't even thinking about charities why is charities such an important exception that's coming up but it is
Okay. <clears throat> Again, I think it's wrong. It bothers me to no end. I'm motivated to change it. The, and the other thing that I should mention with a Roth IRA, I said the money has to come out in 10 years. It also has to come out in 10 years with a Roth, but the strategies for the beneficiary is going to be much different with a traditional than with a Roth. With a traditional, they're going to have to pay income taxes on it. So let's say that, that they don't have to take out anything for 10 years, but if they wait 10 years, let's say you leave them a million dollars, they don't take out anything, it, the money earns 7%, it doubles in 10 years, now it's 2 million. If they take out the 2 million, that's going to push them in the highest bracket. So it might make more sense to take some distributions along the way or maybe some distributions when they are in a lower tax bracket. With a Roth, since they're not paying taxes on the money that they take out, they're probably better off just leaving the whole thing in and waiting 10 years and then taking it out. So we're going to have some, some post-mortem, after-death uh, tax planning that we've never had before. Okay, so... This morning, we're going to be mainly be talking about what I'll call the dying part. The afternoon, we're going to be talking more about the living part. And the last session of 315, we're going to be talking about um, investments and in index funds and also some of the differences in, uh, in investing after the SECURE Act. All right, so what I'm going to talk about um, at a moment, this moment is going to be what I consider the best estate plan for traditionally married couples. So what do I mean by a traditional married couple? I mean original husband, original wife, same kids. You know, not, you know, kids from the first marriage and the love child from the 60s and all, all these different interesting combinations. So who here by a show of hands is married? All right, please keep your hand up if you are married and have at least one child. Okay, please keep your hand up if you are married and the child or children that you have is the same child or children as your spouse. All right? By the way, you wouldn't see this with a younger crowd. All right, we, we are, and my, my hand's up too. All right, thank you. We are what I call the leave it to beaver couple. And by the way, the younger people don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and, for, and for some of you younger folks, you can Google it. But again, original husband, original wife, same kids. All right. So this, is, this plan really is ideal for that particular family setting. Some of the same concepts can be applied in a non-traditional marriage, but these, these are the um, but that's, that's what the plan was designed for. So let me tell you what the biggest problem is, in my opinion, with estate planning, is that we don't know what's going to happen. All right? I've done, and our firm has done hundreds, if not thousands, of projections over the last 30, 35 years, and guess what? We were never right. We always got it wrong. No matter what, whatever we thought was going to happen, something else happened. We thought he was going to die first, she died first. We thought the market was going to go up, the market went down. We, we didn't know what the tax laws were. 
I didn't know what the tax laws were, were going to be. I suspected that this thing was going to come along, and we did act accordingly, but there's a huge difference between somebody who died on December 31st, 2019, and somebody who died January 1, 2020. Last year, we had a whole bunch of people with multi-million dollar IRAs die, and we were able to use that, their, un, their unfortunate deaths, um, for a huge benefit for the family in a way that we could not do even just one month later. We had, a, we had one death by a very tax-savvy client uh, right before the year end, and it's terrible because I really liked him. Everybody in the office liked him. He was a good guy. And we said, well, <laughs> and Matt and I had the same reaction. Well, it's too bad that he had to die, but he was sick. He was in hospice. Better he died before year end. <laughs> I mean, that, that, unfortunately, that is the way we think. Um, because the difference could be millions of dollars to his family. That opportunity for most of us is not there, so we have to work on other things. So we don't know when we're going to die. We don't know what the laws are going to be like when, when we die. And who's, who's to say that they're not going to change the law six more times in ways that we can't even predict right now? Um, we don't know how much money is going to be left. Maybe the market will be good. Maybe the market will be bad. Um, maybe the last illness is going to be very expensive. Who, who knows? Um, we don't know what the needs of the survivor are. Is the surviving spouse going to be in relatively good health and can travel and can go visit the kids and do a lot of things? Or will the surviving spouse be in a relatively predictable cash pattern? And then what about the kids? Will the kid? We don't know. We don't know. That that's one of the big problems. Um, so, I still think projections are useful, but I think it's also really important to know that if you try to make projections and plan based on those projections, you're probably going to be wrong. And in addition what's going to happen is things are going to change and if you really want to, if you if you're planning on a particular set of facts or circumstances and then the circumstances change then you have to go back and redo your will all right and by the way people don't redo wills often you know you're supposed to look at them every 2 or 3 years so let me tell you a more typical conversation it says oh it says here if something happens to both of you that your son, little Johnny, will be taken care of by Uncle Frank and Aunt Sue. Um, how old is little Johnny? 47? <laughs> Point being, people don't redo their... I've been doing this for well over 35 years. People do not redo their wills and trusts and documents very often. To me, if I have your attention and you're ready to roll, you're, you want to do this, I want to do documents that will have a very long shelf life. So we don't know what's going to happen. We want documents that have a long shelf life. All right. So let's, let's go. Um, how about if we can use, we have a new volunteer in the front. Um, let's see. It's Joe. Yeah, and no, I, I remember Joe because I, I, I bicycle near his place. All right, so, all right, so Joe, you're married. 
All right, here's Joe, here's his wife. And how many children do you have, Joe? You have two children. They are your children together. All right, and do you have any grandchildren? Five. How many are you on the first one, the oldest? Three? Okay. So here is Joe. Here's Joe's wife. Here's child number one, child number two. And then each of his kids have kids of his own. All right? And let's assume that this is a classic leave it to beaver marriage, original husband, original wife, same kids. So Joe comes in, says, hey, <clears throat> we need a new estate plan. What's Joe going to say? Now, I'm not going to ask him publicly because if the answer is no, I'm in, he's in big trouble. <laughs> what is your primary goal, Joe? He's going to say, well, my primary goal is to take care of me and my wife while we're both alive, make sure that we can do what we want to do, spend what we want to spend, have our autonomy, um, in, enjoy our retirement. But if something happens to me or if something happens to my wife, the second goal, he's not going to say is to save taxes. He's not going to say to have my grandchildren so stinking rich they never have to work a day in their life. He's going to say, I want to provide for my wife, right? So for most of us raised our hands. Now, I'm not going to ask this publicly because that would really be a problem. But isn't the primary goal taking care of yourselves while you're alive, while you're both alive, and then making sure that the survivor is taken care of after you're gone, right? So that should be one of our primary goals. Well, how do we establish that goal? We make our surviving spouse the first beneficiary of our wills, our IRA beneficiary designations, our life insurance, our Roth IRAs, etc., etc. Right? All right. Um, we are saying to our spouse when we are doing that, your financial protection and your financial security is more important than saving set taxes. In fact, that's the most important thing that there is. All right. The remember spouses are one of the exceptions to the SECURE Act so that spouse will get favorable tax treatment. That is a bo bonus. They get the same treatment that they would have received had you died before year end. There's no re required minimum distributions for um, Roth IRAs for the spouse. So if Joe has a Roth IRA where he is not taking minimum distributions now, and he leaves it to his spouse, she doesn't have to take any minimum required distributions of the Roth IRA. So there's a lot of good reasons to name the surviving spouse. But depending on the circumstances, it might make sense to have the children inherit at least some money at the first death. Maybe the kids need some money. If the kids are minors, they might get a more favorable tax treatment. Um, they might be in a position in their lives that they need the money, mom doesn't. And if we leave it in mom's estate, maybe that's going to be a huge tax when mom dies. So there's going to be examples when we want the children to have benefits at the first death. By the way, that was a much more popular and common goal before the new law. But there are certainly situations we want to do that. So let's put 
The second choice is children. And not always, but let's assume equally. Okay? Well, what's another choice for Joe? Well, he has some grandchildren. And let's assume that the grandchildren are young, that they can't handle or it wouldn't be appropriate to leave money to a grandchild outright. So we will do a trust for a grandchild. If the underlying asset is an IRA, there are special rules in order to get even partially favorable tax treatment for the grandchild and that those rules, there's five specific conditions for a trust to qualify as a designated beneficiary of an IRA. So that trust better be drafted appropriately. By Matt's estimate, when, you know, when people come in, we, you know, we're, we're not in the business of redoing documents that are fine. So we always look at people's documents. And I think, what do you say, Matt, like 90% of the people get this trust wrong? Yeah, and, the, and we're also including the, you know, the big shot expense of state attorneys downtown. So, but let's assume that it's going to get done right. So we have three choices here. Surviving spouse, children, and grandchildren. By the way, the gran grandchildren might be in a low tax bracket. They might have needs for school. There's a lot of circumstances when it might make sense to have the grandchildren be the beneficiary. Okay? So does everybody see what the issues are and what we should do? All right, so let's look at the traditional answer. It's called the I love you wills. I leave everything to you. You leave everything to me. The second death, it goes to our kids equally. And if one of something should happen to one of our kids, then the money would go into a well-drafted trust for the benefit of the predeceased child. Okay, that's the traditional answer. So basically, in order to have any of the children get any money, you have to have both husband and wife die. In order to have any of the grandchildren get any money, you have to have their parent die. All right? Well, not a terrible solution and much, much better than nothing. But we pointed out situations where it does make some sense to have money going to the kids at the first death. It might make some sense to have money going to the grandkids at the first death or even the second death. So to me, how are we going to solve this dilemma of who should get what when the traditional answer, you know, it's not the worst, but there's something that we can do that's a lot better. So how are we going to make this decision? We're not going to decide. <laughs> Isn't that it? It's too tough. We're not going to decide. So what are we going to do? So if Joe's in my office, and I would never ask him this publicly, I would say, actually I did say, <laughs> do you trust your wife? 
all right? I don't always get a yes. <laughs> Let's assume I get a yes. I ask her, do you trust Joe? Let's assume that you get a yes. So they trust each other. They have the same beneficiaries. They have the same kids. We don't have to worry about the kids from Joe's first marriage, the love child from Joe's wife's, you know, etc. They have the same beneficiaries. So how are we going to decide who gets what? We're going to let the surviving spouse decide, but we're not going to make that surviving spouse choose now. We're going to let the surviving spouse choose within nine months after the death of the first spouse. So let's say at Joe's death, for example, that it makes a lot of sense to have some money going to the kids, some money going to the grandkids. We can direct that money there by a concept called disclaimer. Disclaimer is you don't have to accept money that is left to you. You can say, I disclaim. Or, what's a very important option, I disclaim part of what was left to me. And if you're going to take this concept one step further and you say, I am going to disclaim maybe IRA, Roth IRA, after-tax dollars, insurance, whatever it might be. Give the estate attorney and the surviving spouse complete flexibility because we can do a much better estate plan after we know more facts. When will we know more facts? After Joe's gone. We're going to know how much money there is. We're going to know what the tax laws are like. We're going to know the needs of the spouse. We're going to know the needs of the kids and the grandkids, etc. So we can direct money through a concept called disclaimer to either kids or grandkids at the first death. Normally, the only, again, the only way these guys get any money is if they're both gone. This way, we can have money going to kids and grandkids at the first death. And by the way, not only is there sometimes a tax advantage with that, but there's another advantage. To receive the beneficial information that Jim is discussing in this segment, get a copy of Jim's latest bestseller, The IRA and Retirement Plan Owner's Guide to Beating the New Death Tax, Six Proven Strategies to Protect Your Family from the Secure Act. Available now on Amazon in ebook and hardcover formats. To purchase Jim's new book, go to paytaxeslater.com forward slash new death tax book. That address again, paytaxeslater.com forward slash new death tax book. And don't forget to sign up for Jim's digital newsletter to get even more comprehensive information. Go to paytaxeslater.com forward slash sign up now. That address again, paytaxeslater.com forward slash sign up now.